Hey, Zero Block 30 listeners, you can find us every Tuesday and Friday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Pride members can also listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. This week's episode of Zero Block 30 is brought to you by our friends at Lisa Mattress. Mattress, mattresses, mattresses. Today and every other episode that we've had Lisa Sleep as our sponsor, I get happy because it reminds me that you guys get to have 100 nights of risk-free sex on a bed. You can leave all kinds of stains, and if you don't like the cushion in that cushion, you can send it back. Free delivery, free returns if you don't like it. They're 100% American-made and and comprised of three high-quality foam layers that provide cooling, contouring, and pressure relief. And it's at Texas now. First, we had 95 degrees yesterday. 95 degrees. Mm -hmm. I know you guys are dealing with snowstorms down there, but the cooling cooling effect of... The cooling effects of the mattress is something that really plays a nice part in the summertime because I'm a hot sleeper. Are you guys hot sleepers? The worst. I, I sweat like crazy. It's terribly uncomfortable. I hate uh, it. Brand, you a hot sleeper? No, not really. Dude, if I if I don't have like I have this huge vortex fan that I use all the time and I put it damn near full blast where it can blow around papers all around my room. It creates like a tornado effect and I have my ceiling mm-hmm. fan on. And I keep the house at 69 degrees. And I still, nice. before I had the Lisa mattress, would wake up with like wet sheets. Not because I piss myself or anything, but just because I sweat <laughs> so much. My wife and kids like to joke that my body's like a furnace. Like even down here or when I go up there, I don't bring a big jacket when it's snowing. I just wear like a sweatshirt and I'm not even from like the cold area. Lisa mattress helps with the cooling because they have like a nice little gel insert that goes in there. There's 10,000 five-star reviews for customers. You can trust this mattress is the right pick. Go to lisa.com slash barstool to receive $100 off today for every single stoolie out there. We are in the studio together. We're dealing with some technical difficulties, but I feel like we've got it figured out now. Unlike the big news of the week that this is 15 years that we've been at war with Iraq, we have somebody who was on the ground on a tank as a commander coming later on in the episode. That's going to be Matt Ufford. Used to be at SB Nation. Now he's working with At War, the new section of the New York Times. It's restarted up. That is a great section of the New York Times. Even if you don't like the politics of what the Times normally does, the At War section skips a lot of that and just gives veteran perspectives on a lot of issues. So it's basically the written version of Zero Block 30 with fancier words and fancier syntax. That was a mouthful. That was. But yeah, Matt Matt, Matt was great. And uh, you know, hopefully everyone will read the article he, he wrote in the Times this week to go along with his interview. Uh, he had a very interesting firsthand account of those first few days of the Iraq war. And I think, Chaps, the biggest thing to think about is, and we were talking about this a little yesterday, is 15 years is a long, long time. We have never been in any sort of conflict that long. The Iraq war uh, has its driving, its driver's permit. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. And I think the biggest thing we said was, Nobody thought when this thing kicked off that it was going to last 15 years. I mean, no, I mean, we were in Iraq. And movies like Jarhead, they talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
you know, Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf goes in 96 hours, bingo, bango, we're all done. I, I think everyone kind of thought it was going to be very similar to that, not much longer. No one in their right mind would have predicted 15 years. Yeah, and our biggest mistake, I think, looking back foreign policy-wise, if we can go back and have a little hindsight 2020, besides like not even going in and doing a regime change, but I think a lot of that is rose-colored glasses as well because Saddam was using chemical re- weapons on his own people like he was, mm-hmm. and I think that's a justifiable reason to go in and take somebody out if you have that as absolute proof and they did have that they had that as proof i think that was a good enough reason to take saddam out i think if i could go back 2020 reaction and do anything different the moment that we captured saddam hussein it should have been pack him up boys that's it right but now because... i mean what year did he get captured do you remember i think it was 2006 you look it up no Brent? no no it wasn't no it wasn't 2006 because i was um i was still in school so i think it was 04 or 05 I apologize for not remembering that specifically, but it, it certainly wasn't 06. It was a little bit before that. Um, but I, I think you're right. I, I think that was the one of the clear reasons why we were there. And the other reasons why we were there, there's some ambiguity around it there. And 2003. Yeah. Yeah. 13 December um, 2003, Operation Red Dawn. Yeah. So, I mean, that was – if we'd have done that, we'd have only been there for a couple months. And Schwarzkopf right. would have been correct. Right. No, you're right. Um, and um, what I was saying was that, you know, that that was the, the, the clear reason, whereas some of the other reasons, depending on who you ask, you'll get a few different responses. But there's the, the Saddam Hussein one was the only one I think that we could all agree upon. So and I think the other challenge is that we've been through multiple leaders uh, at the top of the food chain there with the commander in chief. And I think that makes things more difficult, too when you're dealing with a foreign conflict because how are you supposed to just ex- you can't just accept i think what the previous president was doing and but not want to put your own stamp on it i think that's kind of what has happened though like with if you look at the policies of what we've done in iraq and afghanistan when president obama was elected he was supposed to have this radically different foreign policy record where he was going to close guantanamo bay he ran on a platform of pulling out of Iraq, focusing off on Afghanistan and destroying Taliban and terror cells that happened within Afghanistan. But none of that really happened. I mean, he basically governed like yeah. a modern, a moderate for the first term of his election or his first term as president. And that kind of continued. And we, we saw, and I wrote about it in the blog that I posted on 15 years, that we saw surges, we saw d- declines in the amount of soldiers and Marines and airmen and sailors that were there. Up and down and up and down. It's basically been the same idea because we have no idea what we're doing. And I think that is because we have no defined objective right now. Right. And I think right. that's the huge issue that there's no objective. I mean, whenever you're a football player and you go out, the objective is to score a touchdown. In World War II, we had a clear, decisive objective. Defeat the Japanese, defeat the Germans, bring down Hitler, and bring down the Imperial Japan. Those were the objectives. Now, what is the, even the objective? Nobody can even tell you what the objective is to like secure Iraq. Like that's not an obtainable thing. You ask soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines on the ground what their mission is. Most have no fucking clue, and that's a problem at the top. And it's been a problem at the top since really two thousand four. You're right. No, you're absolutely right. But I think that's the problem: is no one has come in and, and set that clear objective. And then executed on it. Maybe they've said some things, but they haven't then executed on it. And with all this wavering back and forth, I think 
you're just creating more problems. The, the longer it's going, we've, we've been creating more problems for ourselves. Yeah, we definitely have. And I wrote in the, the last paragraph in the blog that I wrote yesterday, we talked about some of the things that came out. I think some of the good things that come out of the Iraq war, which is a terrible thing to say, and a terrible way to go about it. But the humor that is there, like the camaraderie that comes with some of your, the people that you were there with is something that lasts a lifetime. I mm -hmm. will never forget the haircuts that I got in Iraq, for example. <laughs> Did you get any uh, haircuts oh, by the Turks buddy. there? Buddy, I had some haircuts that would make some heads turn and not in a good way, believe me. <laughs> like what? Walk us through it. Well, when you go to a barber now and they have multiple tools to work with, and uh, multiple attachments on a razor to get different the hair different lengths. You know, for instance, if you're trying to have like a you know some sort of fade, well, when there's only like one or two attachments, they have to get creative with like a comb, and they don't really know what they're doing. So basically, your fade just is non-existent, and you just have like some hair on top of your head, and then just skin, and it just looks horrible. But ultimately, you don't really care because. You're not over there to impress anyone. You got a cover on majority of the time. And even if your hair is all jacked up, you know what? Look around the room. There's probably 10 other guys whose hair is just as jacked up, so it doesn't even matter. See, our experiences are drastically different from Iraq haircuts. I was in a place that we didn't have much. Like we ate MREs or occasionally we would get a hot meal. But when we would actually go back to Camp Fallujah, you got a good-ass haircut at Camp Fallujah. Like, there was no really? doubt about it, dude. I mean, probably some of the best haircuts I've ever had. Like, they do the hot lather. They get you a hot towel. They have this little wax that they would use, and they had these huge, um, almost like Q-tips. They would rub around in this wax into a big ball. They would light that motherfucker on fire and go through, like, your ears, like, with it on fire, and it would take out and singe all of, like, your extra ear hair. They would do it around your neck, like, in your nose. They would get all those hairs out. And then they would do this straight razor fade. And they'd slap the shit out of you with, like, this crazy Middle Eastern oil. You walked out of there feeling like a million bucks. And it cost you, like, $4. Well, I feel like I've been gypped. I I've never even heard of any of these things. And the hot wax in the ears and the nose... Especially now when I think about how much I have to if I trim my ear and nose hair. Maybe that's a little too much information. I don't know. But that sounds like it's a delight. Oh, it is a delight. I would, I, would pay, I would pay 50 bucks to get that haircut right now. I wouldn't even know like if there's anywhere that would do that in the United States. No, I think that's why it's so shocking. The first time I was sitting, <laughs> sitting back and the dude – because, I mean, you're in the middle of a war too. And you're fighting right, like yeah. – you're fighting and that they bring out big balls of fire to put near your face. You're like, my friend, I've seen a lot of fire over the last couple of weeks and it's normally <laughs> not a good situation to be around. Yeah. I'm getting to know you guys a little bit better so I can see when chaps is like thinking a couple steps ahead. He asked you about your haircut, knowing full well that he's had like the best haircuts in his entire life. And he knew that you had terrible ones. So he was like waiting to come over the top with, yeah, I get slapped with Middle Eastern oil and get my nose hair trimmed off. I have well, no. awesome haircuts. Your haircuts stink. No, I don't, uh, you think that you got me right. But the best thing that I was going to say is now I wouldn't have that luxury of having my thick ass hair 
But if you are a young man and you're starting to lose your hair, you should go with Forehims so you can keep a full head of hair because Forehims is doing all kinds of great stuff for people who are 35 because at 35, 66% of men lose their hair. You don't want to notice when it's too late. It's easier to start keeping your hair when you already have it. I let that ball roll down the hill a little bit too far to come all the way back, but I am starting to come back. There's less bald spots than when I started. Do you want a bald spot to pop up? When you don't have anything to do about it, you do now with 4Hems because 4Hems is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, sexual wellness for men, and thanks to science, baldness can be optional. 4Hems connects you with real doctors and medical-grade solutions to treat hair loss. They're well-known genetic equivalents, the name-brand prescription to help you keep your hair. No waiting room, no awkward doctor visits. Save hours by going to 4Hems.com. So easy. Answer a few quick questions, and a doctor will review and prescribe you. Order now. Our listeners get a trial month for just $5 today, right now, while the supplies last. So see the website for full details. This would cost hundreds if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. Go to 4hems.com slash zero. That's Foxtrot, Oscar, Romeo, Hotel, India, Mike, Sierra.com slash Zulu, Echo, Romeo, Oscar. I, did you just did you assume I had been to I've never been to Fallujah. I did I I assumed that you I thought that that was a pretty joint experience honestly oh no I didn't I didn't even know until just now that you told me that story I've never heard of anyone getting those types of haircuts it so was awesome quite man. Jealous. like I I, still, I thought you just meant like we're in combat like we don't really have much to work with so we all have shitty haircuts right now I still contend that going to Haji shops was amazing i mean they had cuban cigars if you smoked they had like three dollar cartons that you could get of cigarettes that were iraqi cigarettes you had rippets that were super cheap you can buy these dvds you remember the dvds that you could get oh, of like yeah. the, the black like market dvds movies. dude yeah, you could have like 200 have... movies on like two dvds right somehow <laughs> when my daughter was young we used to i used to have a dvd player in her room <clears throat> and with that, I bought the princess set, like the Disney set. So it basically yep. was four DVDs that would have legitimately 200 movies. Like any Disney title that you could possibly think of was on these movies. And the best part about it is that there was a play all bu- button. So there's 25 movies on one DVD. You could plus p- play all. So if I was drinking and my daughter was like, I just wanted her to go away for a while, I would just go up there, smash play <laughs> on her favorite one. And that motherfucker would go for like five days without stopping. (laughs) And I wouldn't even set it up. I would just turn the TV off and the DVD would replay itself too. So it would play on automatic replay. The DVD player never shut off where she only had to hit one button where it would turn the TV on. It was wonderful. Best single parent tool that you could possibly have. Yeah. No, I I got my dad one of those. You know, I was coming home in R&R and it happened to be coming home at Christmas. So I was like, all right, well, I still want to get some gifts. So I went to the Hodges shop and I brought my dad home like 200 of the greatest war movies ever. I don't even think he ever opened the the package, but he was grateful. And he, he, he was excited for a little bit when he thought about it. But those those were pretty interesting how they were able to figure out how to get so many on one DVD. Did you have the share drive? Oh, yeah. Oh, the yeah, share drive was a lifesaver, too, because you could find yeah. anything. I mean, I would have yeah. my little – do you remember how big a hard drive that used to have like 50 gigs was? Like, yeah. They were, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a block. It was huge. And I thought yeah. I was King Dingling when I would put like all the seasons <laughs> of Scrubs on there. So I would just watch Scrubs on loop over and over and over again. Yeah. 
Anyways, enough about our experiences in Iraq. I want to bring on Matt Uffert from the New York Times. He wrote a blog post on At War, which is their new, not really new, but revamped column from veterans. You got to check it out. It's really great. Here's Maddie. Whoa, 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 whoa. Record scratch sound. Time out. PFC Bren, could you please play my song? I don't know why the interview with Matt would go before me. Just because, oh, he has written for GQ and SB Nation and Sports Illustrated and Uproxx. And, oh, he's a video host and a writer and an editor and a super nice guy. And, oh, he was a lieutenant who led men through the invasion of Iraq, blah, blah, blah. Well, has he ever done a semester of dental hygiene school at Delaware County Community College before dropping out? No? I'll wait. All right, then let the big guns like me talk for a second here before I give it back. Uh, But actually, it is about Matt. I read his column for the New York Times at War section recently, titled, 15 years ago, I helped start a war that hasn't ended. And I thought he expressed so many difficult feelings that a lot of veterans from that time period probably feel in such a beautiful way. And it really made me kind of sent me down a rabbit hole of sorts, I guess, about veteran writers. And at the same time, I saw it was National Poetry Week. And that led me down another rabbit hole of great warrior poets. And a lot of people might not associate the military with poetry, but these themes that go across all nations when it comes to war, loss, pain, fear, bravery, you know, the the divide that they feel with civilians when they come home and the futility some of them feel, the hopelessness and and the beauty and all those things are expressed through poetry and have been about war since we've had the written word. So really quickly, I just wanted to share a poem about the start of the Iraq war, keeping with that theme by Brian Turner. He was a soldier who served for seven years and he deployed to Iraq in 2003. And this poem has just always, ever since I first heard it, has always rolled around in the back of my mind. Ashba. The ghosts of American soldiers wander the streets of Balad by night, unsure of their way home, exhausted. The desert wind blowing trash down the narrow alleys as a voice sounds from the minaret, a soulful call reminding them how alone they are, how lost. And the Iraqi dead, they watch in silence from rooftops as date palms line the shore in silhouette, leaning toward Mecca when the dawn wind blows. Just hauntingly beautiful, and that's from his book of poetry about the Iraq War called Here, Bullet. And not to make it even more serious, but I wanted to really quickly just read two of my own poems, and haikus are my thing, that's the five, seven, five syllables. So the first is called No Going Back. Outside of the Wire a dark fire flashes through me. Ooh, pooped my camis. <clears throat> and the second is called Goat. Greatest of all time. Brave voice for all veterans. Zero block 30. I hope those weren't too personal. Didn't want to get too carried away there, but you know what? That's that's enough of poetry for today. The privilege of having a longtime acquaintance of mine. We started off rough. I don't, I'll we'll walk through it and see yeah, if you yeah, remember. Yeah. Um, but Matt Ufford is yeah. on the show with us. He is going to be starting writing for At War. He's formerly of SB Nation and a Marine Corps officer. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we don't really like officers on the show, <laughs> no. but, but we'll, we'll allow it. 
I was it. in my defense. It was 15 years ago, and I only did four years. So I was one of those. Uh, I was one of those company grade officers who uh, uh, won over the hearts and minds uh, of his of his men slowly but surely and then just as i was like deemed as uh, good shit by a handful of marines i promptly got out so 15 years you got you got your commission in 2003 2000 2000 wow. I, w- I entered oh. a pre-war military oh. i am and, pushing 40 and, and one of the youngest people to say that i was in a pre-war military and you were a northwestern guy right yeah yeah Thank you for your service at Northwestern. <laughs> did, you, yeah. did you go to McDill? I did not. I was. Okay. I, I'm like one of. I think I'm the only person in sports media who went to Northwestern, but did not go to McDill. Yeah. Well, good for you. Yeah. You don't want to have anything in common with that fuck Darren Rovo. <laughs> he was. He was my year at Northwestern. Was he? Yeah. You look much younger than him. Congratulations. Yeah, it's, it's cleaner living. Yeah. Not eating nearly as many like stadium meats and shit like that. <laughs> right. So we wanted to have you on the show primarily because you're starting at At War, which is super exciting. Tell us a little bit about At War and what that's about. So uh, At War is a is a New York Times blog that was uh, the failing New York Times that's y- growing at like a rapid the, pace. Yeah. Yes, the oldgraylady.com. <laughs> um, it's a it was a great I want to say incubator and a place for a lot of military writers, military voices, not even writers specifically, uh, to to grow and be heard. Uh, a couple of years back, and then it was it was folded a couple of years ago, and uh, Chris Chivers, CJ Chivers, uh, has pushed to bring it back. And Lauren Katzenberg, formerly at Task and Purposes, Task and Purpose, is the the new editor. It's relaunching in I think March seventeenth is the date. And St. Patty's Day. Yeah, when when to do it, or anyway that week. And yeah, I shouldn't do it. There'll be a lot of drunk veterans that day, yeah. and I'm not going to be. <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, like every day too. Yeah, um, but. But uh, I'm going to bring just doing some freelance work for them, and the first piece I'm writing is is about the it's been 15 years, 15 year anniversary of the invasion of Iraq. So when you st- first started going in media, was it kind of cathartic for you just to be like, you know what, I'm not going to talk about like veteran shit. I'm not going to. I'm just going to focus on sports and get into that world weird world. I, I think that what I've always wanted to do is just normalize it and provide like. Yes, I'm a veteran. Yes, I'll talk about it if you ask about it. But, it's still in your bio on Twitter. Like yeah, you're a Marine. And, and that's like it's you know got the the tattoo to show for it and everything. Yeah. It's like this. It's a Same. part of me for life. And even as it gets you know farther in the rearview mirror, it's, it's still uh, an absolute essential core part of my being. And I think that like the hardest thing as as the military becomes uh, a smaller and smaller uh, you know percentage of the American population, there are too few Americans who. Just know somebody in the military. It's mm. it's and there are there are communities where it's military rich, and then there are, there are places where it's a uh, there are people who like don't know anybody who's ever served, and yeah. that's preposterous. And so one of the things that that I really like doing in my career is just like I'm just a guy who went to war and came back, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean that I have uh, a better character or I'm braver than any other normal person. I'm just a normal person who went to war and came back. So you were ex- and we don't really talk to too many people who were. Pre nine eleven, folks. So when you were, so if you, two thousand, you were probably still going through training. Right? I was. I when nine eleven happened, I had been. 
I had been on deck at 29 Palms in my tank platoon for five or six weeks. I reported like July 29th of 2001, and I was like, wow. "We!" I was just the Buddhist lieutenant. Like yeah. I'm, I'm a young looking late 30s now, and I was an exceptionally young looking 22. Look like then. young Sheldon. I was. It was every single every single stereotype of like the fresh faced second lieutenant was me, and I was just like a fresh faced young idiot. So you have all those American feelings of watching an attack like that happen, but you also have the pressure. At that point, knowing that you just started your job as a tank commander, like fuck me, right? The the lasting the lasting impression I have of uh, of nine eleven is, you know, we were all we were all kind of gathered in the uh, the S two's office because it was like the only television that had mm. you know, S two is intelligence. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, uh, I slipped right right back into yeah, it. I know. <laughs> so when we talk to other veterans, like I. The first probably ten episodes, I was terrible about it, and I was like, ninety percent of your audience is civilian, dude. So you need to explain these terms. Yeah. So now I'm like getting better at explaining shit. So we we're in the um, uh, the battalion offices. There was a bunch of uh, junior officers just watching the the flames uh, coming out of the towers, and we saw I saw the second building collapse because I was West Coast, um, and. This uh, the XO, the battalion XO, uh, second in command is the guy who, for responsible for dropping the hammer mm. uh, on everybody in the battalion. Was a guy named No Shit Lieutenant Colonel Slaughter. Um, wow. Steps in. He's got those like piercing should blue have been eyes. A sergeant though. Yeah, yeah it should have uh-huh. been. But you know that they. they yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> that takes him back. Um, but he steps in and he just like looked at us with like piercing blue eyes and kind of like a growly voice, which is like, "Get back to work." And we were like, "Oh right, yeah, no, it's uh, this is a very serious job." All of a sudden, yeah. and it's and it's not just like you as like a young second lieutenant. It's baffling for somebody like me and Kate who came in post nine eleven to even thinking about having leadership who had never experienced real large scale war because you had like lieutenant colonels and colonels who were in that never the entire battalion was uh, was like just green in terms Marine of combat. birthday balls looked vastly different <laughs> yes. in 2000 um when i we had about 80 marines in my tank uh tank company and uh plussed up with some some reserves and uh, extra tanks uh but when we went when we started the invasion there was one marine that had any combat experience it was a crusty old gunnery sergeant love it who had been I'm like, so glad he's a gunny and not a master sergeant yeah i mean he 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 put on he put on uh uh pinned on e8 a little bit later but uh he was he uh a guy named scott martin and just like he he walked like so slow like, like was it, it like kosovo was he in kosovo he was it was uh the initial uh, uh desert storm wow. he was like a he was wow. a tank gunner i think back then and uh you know, seventeen or how fourteen years of just getting on and off uh, tanks. It just destroyed his knees and mm-hmm. hips, and he just walked like like Clint Eastwood at like age sixty five, getting off a horse. He yeah. was just like, and it's that Clint Eastwood in like Grand Torino when he's sipping on a PBR. <laughs> people are coming to us. He's like, Ugh. it was that lawn. was very much his vibe. Um, and yeah, it was, and and that's what I'll be writing about for for at war. Just the way that like the the perspective of the entire military has been changed over 15 years of consecutive war and, and there's no real sign of it stopping anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, and we talked before you came on about how you're going to be writing about 15 years later of the initial invasion and one of the most popular books that talked about the initial invasion it might have passed in my opinion it has passed Jarhead as the quintessential Marine Corps book in talking about Generation Kill. 
and that came out so soon after the initial invasion. But now looking, I'm looking forward to your article that you're going to write about it because it's has some time left. And Nathaniel Fick wrote that, and one uh, bullet away. Yeah. So yeah. so you have his account of it, but even that was years ago. Having the having the ability to look back and do some introspection for 15 years later should be very interesting. Yeah, it's um. I don't have the the chops to write anything book length. That was, you know, when I moved to got out of the Marines and I was like, I'm going to be a writer and and moved to New York City and uh, I put down like I, I wrote like half of a book and I just ran out of steam. I ran out of material. I was like, I just don't have anything more to say about it. I, I was like mentally just kind of like moving on. But um, you know, like there's you, you look at uh, I think that the one of the best books about war ever is is Matterhorn and mm-hmm. uh, I. Carl Marlantis worked on that for what forty years before right. it finally yeah. got published. And uh, friend of the program, really? Yeah. All right. He is a man. That book, that book kept me up at nights. Like that was harrowing. Yeah, we had one of his uh, platoon mates, Jack Higgins, on oh. the show, and I met Jack in uh, in Chicago. I went to a birthday ball in Chicago, and we had him on the show. And then, like two weeks later, we happened to run into each other in Chicago. He was a Vietnam veteran uh he's a captain in the marine corps and it was so cool having an experience like that because i was obviously 30 years after his services when i joined and just the hug that we shared like two different theaters two completely different americas at the time and it was like we have that common respect and bond of what each other went through it was just a really cool thing and i think that no one really has that like the marine corps has it oh yeah, yeah. I got to I got to interview Suck it Connor you bitch. Yeah, yeah. I got <laughs> I got to interview an Iwo Jima vet uh yeah. back in like last fall and it was awesome. Like he was in his 90s and still like just he had a bullet go through his brain on yeah. Iwo Jima and he somehow like still has it all together and is sharp in his 90s and it was just so humbling to be in his presence and uh did you write about it or just like yeah i wrote about it um uh for sb nation back uh on veterans day okay and um it was it was really cool to talk about like he lost like his two best friends uh on iwo jima and uh has like proceeded to uh live a very full and happy life but like when he talks about his best friends that that died in his one of them died in his arms um he still like gets choked up like it is that pain never goes away that feeling of loss like that stuff stays fresh for the rest of your life and it's amazing how you have these vivid memories of the times that you were there and you kind of hope there's a hope almost inside of me at least that some of those memories that i have will become a little bit more dull and fade over time but we had an interview, if you're a new listener to Zero Block 30, with Stanley Rubin, who was also in the Battle of Iwo Jima. And his tale of listening to him talk about it, um, I'll talk about it a little bit right now, just because it was incredible. He signed on. He was he was in his 90s, too. I think he was actually 89. And we were Connor and I were prepared to interview him. But he was so prepared that he just basically spoke for like an hour and 10 minutes Whoa. and went through not only Iwo Jima, but Okinawa, Guam. And he just went through the whole and then he was like, yeah. we left Iwo Jima and then we went and we were fighting again in three weeks. Mm. And you're just thinking, motherfucker. Yeah. They're doing like the they're doing like amphibious landings like every four months. Yeah. And it was. Unbelievable. He, I think he said his numbers, if I remember correctly, that he lost like 85% of the platoon that he went with. Just, we don't have, in modern war, we don't have that 
as an example. We, it, I can't even can't fathom it. it. I can't wrap my head around it at all. It's just something that's an absolute nightmare. And we talked to Stanley about his nightmares. And when I, I, I asked him, I was like, do you feel like you struggled with PTSD or anything like that? And he said, he was like, you know, son, I never feel like I had PTSD, but I definitely had like the thousand yard stare, difficulty sleeping. And it was just something that they, they were calling a rose by another name. Yeah. And it still yeah. smells as sweet or as stinky in yeah. this case. Yeah. Um, you talked about that now and being open about mental health treatment, I think is very, very important. It's something that we're really take seriously here on zero block 30 you just started going to treatment for yeah. ptsd yeah um and i i want to make it clear that like i have for so long lived uh, a very very happy very normal life i've got a wife two young kids um shout out podfathers <laughs> um but i wanted to like i noticed that i just had these these little moments where Something like minorly stressful would happen. My son would, who, who's like almost two, is and as a sweet little boy would like just turn and, and like dump over his cereal and like onto the table, mm-hmm. and I would be instantly furious. Just like and and uh, I wouldn't yell, I wouldn't do anything physical, but like the way that like I had like a hair trigger for for absolute fury at like the people that I love the most. I was like. Maybe I maybe this isn't normal. Maybe this is something that like I should I should work on and get and uh, and you know try to get better at. And I think that's the problem with the perception of PTSD is because we hear these stories of what happens, and it's not always somebody's running off naked in the woods or wearing their whitey tidies like up a tree. Mm-hmm. Like it's your anger mechanism is a little bit sharper. You're drinking too much to to cover up these pains and these scars, and people don't realize that they don't. One of the most common ways to self-medicate for PTSD is marijuana and it's alcohol. Mm -hmm. And the one that's abused the most by and large in the military community is certainly alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't talk about it enough. It's a common thing that veterans like to drink. I'm I'm guilty of it because even though I'm up at at 7 a.m. every day with the kids, I – it hits like 10 p.m. and I'm not tired at all. I am like – I'm super wakeful at night. Uh, thank you, Marine Corps, for that. Yep. Yeah. Um, and and I just like I I have a couple drinks just so that I can like quiet my brain down yep. and and get to sleep. And I I'm not like irresponsible about it, but it's something like there's not there's there's not really nights where I'm like no drinks for me, thanks. You right. know, like, and I, and, I got to that point too, and I was just drinking entirely too much because those. One or two glasses, you start off like one or two glasses of wine just to like kind of chill out. And the next thing you know, like you're looking at, if you have mint, like the app mint, it's like oh, yeah. uncommon use of alcohol. <laughs> like, thanks. Sorry. Yeah. And then you're when like, mint's yeah. giving you heads up, like, buddy. And then you're like, I need to delete mint. Yeah. yeah. Fuck you, mint. Good. I don't. I took finance for Marines, you bitch. <laughs> That's how I got promoted to corporal so fast. I was up on my MCIs. <laughs> So it's a it's a common struggle, but you you go through treatment through Headstrong, right? Yeah, uh, Headstrong is a, a program that started in New York City. I think they've expanded to twenty cities now. Mm-hmm. And what I love about it, I'm someone who just sucks at paperwork. Like, if you hand me a form, if it's more than like my name and social security number, I'm like, 
fuck it, I'm out. Like, and that's I can't, the Marine in you, too. I can't. I can't. Well, <laughs> th- we had admin Marines. Yeah. Like, if I had a question, I'd go to the Adge or, like, the, you know, O1s. And um, you knew it wouldn't be simple, you know? Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, no, I, it sounds like I can just go in and get help, but if I go, I know it's going to be, and then they won't be able to find this, and it's going to yeah. just, I'm going to wish I had never gone in the first place. Like, and the, yeah. there's just something that about the VA that, that I was just like, I, I don't think that I'm, I'm if not, you're I'm suffering not, from depression, it will get deeper the moment yeah, you walk into exactly. the VAs. Exactly. Right. So uh, Headstrong is like, you go to their website, they you fill out a, a very short form. Like it's it's like your name and email, and then uh, uh, they send you uh, somebody emails you very quickly. You do a 30 minute phone call as they ask you questions like, um, what do you like? We just what do you want to work on? Like like what what's you know what what's the one thing you want to improve the most and you know, have you had suicidal thoughts? Do you have access to, or they don't ask about, but just like very normal questions that you would ask. And I found just in the intake, they were super professional about it, um, saying, you know, Matt, thank you for your time. And there was the the professional approach to it where, uh, and this is something you really only get uh, outside of, of normal human interaction. Like, like you step into a professional's office and there is a way that they are, they listen mm-hmm. and they thank you for, they, they thank you for, you know, sharing what you have to say, but they don't offer you any sympathy. There's no thanks for your service. There's, it's just like they listen to you straight up, mm-hmm. listen. And, and, and there's like, you don't realize how much, uh, of interactions with, uh, with just civilians, when you talk about your service, uh, this is true of me. I assume it's true of a lot or, or most veterans. You take the other person's uh, thoughts and feelings into respect, whether whether you're giving them the most details possible or uh, whether you're being cagey about your experience. You have like the an emotional burden of like either accepting their thanks and being uncomfortable with it. Or them saying, I could never do that when really you're just a normal person who mm-hmm. had the drive to get through basic training. Like, it's not it's not so difficult. Right. right. No, it's not. It's um, just doing it. I mean, Yeah, it's just you're someone who wanted to do it, so you did it. And it's it's very, you know, once you have that drive, it's it's it happens. And so, like, when you erase that, uh, that emotional burden of trying to care about what the other person is, is thinking or feeling, uh, it becomes instantly, like, I was like, I'm fine, I'm cool. And like twenty minutes into just the inter- the intake interview over the phone, I was like, I was like holding back tears and and being like, yeah, I have a doctor named Doctor Willis. She's a neuropsychologist that I go see in San Antonio. Shout out to Doctor Willis, Pam, I love you. So <laughs> we, I go see her, and when I turn go in that room and she shuts the door, I basically turn into the Steph Curry of crying. Like <laughs> I, I'm like the MVP of crying when I'm in that yeah. office. I'm like, I can't remember my science. Like when I was going a lot, like I, my memory was just so bad and it was shocking because I used to, like, I felt like I was a really intelligent person, but learning new tasks like Spanish, learning math again, um, learning anything that required things that I didn't have. Luckily I had like a grammatical structure and English was part of my brain that didn't get fucked up. My ability to speak isn't messed up, mm-hmm. but short term memory, remember people's names where I saw them. All those things was a huge aspect of because my technical diagnosis diagnosis is PTSD with cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. So I have that going on. And when I would go in there as a smart person in your brain, you know, you've been smart your entire life, made mm-hmm. good grades. And you're like, I cannot pass college algebra. 
Like, cannot do it. I took Spanish four times. Spanish won four times because I just couldn't do it. I was going tutoring every day. Mm-hmm. I was doing, and it just, I would, I would take the class. I would look at it, read it. I ended up reading the same paragraphs over and over again. And eventually that breaks you down mm-hmm. as a person. And you're like, fuck, man. Mm-hmm. I'm not stupid. And you come to this realization that you need help. And yeah. you're like, this is okay. Things happen to me. I'm still alive. I need to push forward somehow. And sometimes just a little hug or a tap on the shoulder from Dr. Willis is that reminder. Like, this is normal for what happened to your brain. You're not dumb. You just have to do different things. You're not going to be a rocket scientist, but maybe you can go write poop stories for Barstool. Yeah. You know? And it's working out pretty damn Yeah, well. it's working out find right. your wheelhouse. Yep. Um, yeah, so uh, if you are, you know, go to, I think it's headstrong.org. Org. Yeah. Um, get headstrong. Get headstrong. Thank yeah. you very much. And Connor, our co-host, is a big proponent of that, too. He does a lot of it stuff is, with them. Yeah. It is great. There's there's no red tape. You just go in and get, get straight. They're very quick to respond. They're in 20 cities, so... You know, if you're uh, and more coming and more yeah. coming, they're they've got deep pockets and very generous donors. Uh, I can't say enough about it. I'm very early in the stages, but I'm very excited about uh, getting getting healthy. You know, yeah. I gotta throw in too. I used to live here in New York City, and I hit a really rough patch. And I this is intense to say, but I don't know. I don't know if I would be here if I didn't go to Headstrong. Fuck yeah. They yeah. pretty much, like, in the darkest moment of my life, I had a friend send me their Twitter link, and I was like, I'll, I'll call. And I was over by the, um, what's that river over there? The East the River? River? I was over by the East River where yeah. I work I, on my lunch break, and I just called. And it was so easy, so, because I had tried to go to the VA before. It was like a gaggle fuck. And uh, I think that, like, was the link that really kept me going through. And now I'm like, thank God. Mm-hmm. Thank God I called that number because they couldn't have been more incredible, more welcoming. Like you said, they weren't patronizing, but it was just they got me the help I needed, no red tape, and I think that's what scares off so many veterans. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say one more thing, too. Like, I love – I feel like the conversation around mental health is opening up so much more. Like, look at Kevin Love, the mm-hmm. basketball player. Yeah, yeah. And him saying and, and what – got him to finally go get help for it and to talk about it was that he heard another NBA. DeMar the, DeRozan. Talked Raptors, about his depression. Talking yeah. about his depression. And, and that started with the dude who was at Iowa State. Um, fuck. He got... Fred, was the coach Fred Hoiberg? No, he got drafted by the Rockets and was like, look, I am so depressed and so anxious oh, I can't go. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And I'm totally blanking on the name. Yeah, but he couldn't even like ride a tour bus. Like He was like, I, have right. to, I can't fly. Like I have a lot of mental issues and he can't do it. And he's doing so much stuff for... Like mental health community yeah. too, and especially for males, I feel like it's, you know, I think it's a lot harder for men, especially in sports and in the military, to come forward. You're supposed to be this manly man, and and actually, I love that now the conversation is actually it makes you a strong person to go get help, and yeah. there's nothing to be ashamed of. And and you know, Kate, yeah. I I want to commend you because I think that there is a stigma around female veterans specifically. Where you constantly get told that you're nothing but a pogue, that you didn't do anything like that. Why are you getting a service dog? Why are you going to mental health? You couldn't have seen anything. I think that that kind of shit is such bullshit. And you have to have another element. It's already hard enough to go get mental health. But to do it as a female veteran and go out and be like, I don't want it. Because you know you're going to deal with that some too. Like how people deal with it. And it just sucks. 
90% of our listeners are civilians. There's plenty of organizations out there that help you too. If you need those helps, hop into our DMs. We are more than happy, happy to hit you up. Like, we'll do whatever. You I can... will find the best gif I possibly can <laughs> yeah. to bring you back uh, back into a good place. Yeah. yeah, and not only that, but we'll help you find mental health. Hit me up at chaps at barstoolsports.com. I will do what I can. Hop into our DMs, Instagram, wherever, and we'll do what we can. Matt, thanks so much. Looking forward to your shit at at war. Can't wait to read it, my friend. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, and guys. I want to say to Matt, too, I was an internet troll to you at one point. <laughs> we had a disagreement. Do you remember? I do. It, it was it was related to uh, your your Jacksonville Jaguars community and uh, some of the people that you were close to who disagreed with something I wrote about, like a, a veteran a veteran piece. Um, yeah, I think it was Under Armour had used Iwo Jima in some way. There was there was some there was some sort of like they were putting up a basketball hoop oh, with the yeah. Iwo Jima. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and I think my take on it would probably mirror closer to what you said at the time. I don't remember what either one of our takes were. Yeah. So this is a really good conversation, but Matt, they were both hot, so, yeah. But so I, I I know that you're trying to to, to get me off uh, wrong way, wrong word <laughs> oh, choice. Hello, Whoops, so. hello. I, I know that we're trying to wrap this up, but I just want to say that one of those things that I found enlightening about that is it reminded me that I don't speak for all veterans, and nobody does, right? And uh, that the most important thing that we can do as a veteran community is be inclusive of all other veterans mm-hmm. and not worry about like, oh, hey, you were in this service or that service or you were in the shit or you you weren't in the shit enough or you were a pogue or like any of any of those things that, that are divisive in any way. Like we all, you know, all the veterans took a, took a part on the mantle to, to serve and mm. we should all like at least appreciate that for each other. We're going to have differing, differing viewpoints on things, but, you know, we see that so much where uh, in op-eds we're like, I... I was a veteran, and I'm for gun control. I'm a veteran, and I'm against gun control. And it's just like, well, great, you're a veteran, but yeah. like, let's let's yeah. let's all stand together at least on a couple things. Yeah, I completely agree. And whenever we go through topics like that, and we have disagreements, it's one of the biggest issues that I have here, like pick, figuring out which guest, because I feel like. In some ways, I understand the idea that having people come on this show is like a tacit agreement with some of their principles and ideals. But I think I'm going to move away from that and let the full spectrum come out because some veterans are just butt fucking crazy. Yeah. Like they just <laughs> yeah. they just are. They're intense. They yeah. love war. They love every single aspect of it. You have that as well. Yeah. And then you have guys like me, guys like you, I assume, and Kate, who are like, let's be a little more thoughtful before we start dropping bombs. Yeah. Yeah. Can we all just agree that we love the tortellini MRE? Can we all just yeah. unite around that? That is true. I was a yeah. chicken with salsa. Guy. We like that, and we like backpacks, and we love anything with the camelback in it. Right. True. Yeah. 100%. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks again to Matt for coming out and taking time and joining us in the office. Shout out to Kate for being a part of that interview. What an experience, man. What an experience to hear mm-hmm. it firsthand from a dude like him and what he actually went through. Yeah, it was... Um... A little bit more along the lines of what we were talking about earlier, where there was like a clear objective. It was like, all right, Marine, this is what we're going to do. We're going to advance. And they had engagements, and they knew precisely what they had to do. And it was probably just a little easier to deal with without all that ambiguity. And he, he tells the story really well. So he was great to have him as a guest. And it brings up one of my favorite military terms. Whenever you're talking about going into a new objective area. I used it in the blog mm-hmm. too that I wrote. Crossing the line of demarcation. What a fucking yes. military phrase, man. 
Like <laughs> it's so powerful. Military phrase is such of a the great week. word. Like as soon as we cross that mind line of demarcation, there is no coming back. There's only the man next to you and the man next to him and the woman next to him. That's it. Yeah. I love it, dude. It's and, and, and that's a word that, you know, one can incorporate into their own life. Like if you're in college and you're going out with your buddies to the bar, it's like, hey, once we cross that line of demarcation, it's every man for himself. I'm going to start using it when my family goes to Chick-fil-A. Like, if we don't cross the line of demarcation in 10 minutes, everybody's eating peanut butter and jellies. Yeah. Definitely need to incorporate that. I like it. Yeah. So we want to have a little badass of the week this week. Each one of you who served in Iraq uh, in any capacity, we want to salute you. We appreciate your service. Uh, A lot of you answered the call when we were already at war, and – that takes a lot. That takes a lot of guts, and that takes a lot of internal uh, intestinal fortitude to put your name on that line when you know the ultimate price could be your own life uh, in you know defense of your country and, and the Constitution and what we believed we were doing there. So badasses of the week of our each each one of you, Army, Marines, Navy, Airmen, even the Coasties, who has served in any capacity as long as we've been in Iraq. So thank you. Yep, huge shout out to everybody out there who put their fucking boots on the ground, man. Put their boots on the ground. Also, because we shit so much on, not us really, but the internet in general shit so much on that school resource officer in Florida who kind of stood by and watched everything happen, and people called him a coward, and there was a whole lot of going on about that. There was a dude who went above and beyond the call, Deputy First Class Blaine Gaskell of Maryland, who stopped a school shooting from really escalating past the point at where it could have been really deadly. He did what he put his life on the line and went in and stopped a shooter from um, taking out a bunch of classmates in Maryland. So huge shout out to deputy first class Blaine Gaskell. Any save rounds alibis? PFC Bren. Yeah. Bren. So for those, for those who don't know, we uh, last week, uh, you know, started the NCAA tournament, and and Brent and I were out at the uh, at the bar having a few drinks, and and by no means am I taking a stance here as if I've never done something like this, but uh, Brent um, mishandled a beer and it spilled all over me. So as a result, Chaps said he had. Two options to do well, a thousand I'd push-ups. Like to, I'd like to interject first and just say that Brett is a narc. Brett <laughs> Merriman is 100% a narc. He was there. He was the one that called Chaps, not even you. No, and yeah, you Brett did call Chaps. Chat. You put it in the group, in the group chat, chat, and then Brett was like, oh, I'll take care of this for some reason. So I he's a narc. Yeah. <laughs> um, he stuck his nose in where he didn't belong. And, that, that, yeah, so I, I'd just like to interject that point right that, into there. That's, that's fair. fair. But that I, did, fair. I, I did include it um, in the in the group chat um, so, chaps, I just would like to get your your thoughts on what you were thinking when when that chat and phone call came through, and then just an update on where we are with the push-ups. Um, I really didn't care that he spilled beer on you. I just felt like I had to. <laughs> I wish he'd have spilled two, and if he would have spilled two, I would have given him a field promotion right there. <laughs> But young... I mean, it was a really big beer. Like it was. Probably... Yeah, it wasn't even like like oh he like you know dropped a a, a bottle and a little spilled. I mean, it was a full. It was pint. a full beer in a packed bar. I mean, it was the first night of March Madness, so the bar we were sitting at had no room to maneuver at all. Right. So I kind of just turned around, and it wasn't even because I was like sloppy drunk. No, you weren't. Was, no, no, it was, no, it was just, just like, an accident. It was just an accident. And those Shit accidents happens. do happen. 
And yeah. so and so I did I did about I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, thirty that night after I'd gotten home and I'd still been a little bit tipsy. And then I did probably about like a hundred and forty the next day, spread throughout the day. And then um that on Saturday on St. Patrick's Day I was still going away at them and I, I had gotten to eight hundred and chapter you're like, you don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> Which I'm very grateful for because I was as I was like getting to that point, like I, I was committed. I was going to try to do them. I didn't think that within the time frame I was going to be able to do 1,000. I felt like that was a lot, but I was going to put up forth my best effort. And those sets of 20s were starting to get, like, really tough to go through. So I think personally I'm still going to finish the 1,000 push-ups, but just on my own on my own accord. I like that. That's it's fair. kind of like set a, go- set a goal and then, and then accomplish it. So I'm already 20% there. So I don't know. I'll keep everybody updated. All right, so to take the show... I know everybody cares so much, so... (laughs) To take the show out today, because it's the 15th anniversary, I want to have probably the greatest speech of modern Marine Corps history that was given by a gunnery sergeant right before there was some Marines about to head out and do some damage. So that's going to be our sound of retreat today. Listen to this speech and get fucking motivated for the rest of your Friday or whatever day you're listening to. See ya.